Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And good morning. And the third time is the charm. Good morning. There we go. Special welcome this morning to all of our moms in the service this morning. Let's take a moment and prepare our hearts and minds for worship by listening to the prelude. Please join me in the call to worship as printed in your bulletin. We have been called, called to be the church. We've been given gifts, many gifts, all for the same purpose. To model the new way of being that God has planned for us all. Let us together in this hour worship God with the same spirit.
I invite you to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have so many things to be grateful for this morning as we gather. Pray that our hearts will be full of that gratitude as we worship you and give you glory and honor and praise. Father, we're especially thankful this morning for our mothers, for the privilege we have to be raised by women that impact our lives, that show us the way, and that are a shining example to us in every way. So, Father, we hope that that honor will go to them this morning and all glory and honor would go to you. Let's take a moment in silent prayer. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now the prayer of preparation and confession. O God, you are the Holy One, and your faithfulness is constant. Forgive us when we spurn your love, turning from your open embrace, run to the things that will bring us happiness and security. In your mercy, bring us back to your side, to the arms that ache to hold us, and the love that longs to heal us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's word to be true and in his word he promises us that if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us for that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us remember that and let it affect the way we live. Amen. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. Welcome you to worship this day. If you're on the inside aisle, if you'll take the pew pad, sign yourself in and pass it on down there. If you're a visitor, there's a place there you can give us your contact information. There's also uh, cards in the pews there for any prayer requests that you have. If you turn to the announcement page here, you'll see that uh, the first one is that I've given an announcement about retiring in September 2020, 16 months from now. And uh, Marie and I are looking forward to a 
that change in uh, that aspect of our lives. I've been a minister for 42 years, and uh, 18 of it here, and it's been a fabulous experience, a great vocation. This has been a wonderful congregation, so I look forward to the next 16 months of us working together in service and ministry in this place. Thank you. couple of other announcements. Next Sunday is a very special Sunday here because it's the one time a year that we celebrate the Wallace and Mary Alexander Society and we unveil the new group of people who have contributed to the church endowment and reveal the bricks. And so this is, I believe, going to be our fifth different group that we'll be unveiling after church next week. And then right after that, it's a very short ceremony, we're having an endowment seminar lunch. We have an tax attorney who specializes in estate planning, who's going to talk about some of the changes. You know, tax rules and laws change all the time. And so he's going to be talking about some of the changes. It's just be one hour. It's a free lunch and a seminar. We invite you to join us following the service, following the brick ceremony next Sunday. You'll also see an announcement there about the Peace Project Service Day. And then on the other announcement page, there's a listing of times where if you're looking for an opportunity to join the church or find out more about joining the church, Don has some times there where you can have those questions answered as well. Today, uh, we, I want to bring up Scott Willis, who's the chair of our Refugee Task Force. We have a very important uh, meeting on Tuesday night. Uh, we've got a great task force, but we're always looking for more people. And so, Scott, come on up and tell us about this opportunity. This is a good time to jump into the program as well. Hello all, my name is Scott Willis and I'm with the Refugee Task Force and I just want to take a minute today to tell you about three things. A little bit about changes that have happened to us from outside forces, uh, a little bit about a decision that's coming up on Tuesday night we're trying to organize for and your involvement would be important, and thirdly to restate what we're trying to do with RTF. So in the last... Um, Six weeks, we had uh, a change in the Refugee Task Force. We've been connected to Catholic Charities as our partner in doing this work. They provide the families to us. And Catholic Charities made a decision to stop working with resettlement uh, people in the city of Oakland. And so after 50 years, they're folding up their shop on, on Refugee Task Force and moving on. They gave two primary reasons for doing that. The first is the political climate and uh, the significant cuts in the number of people that are being allowed into the U.S. And that's just something that every, every uh, group that's helping refugees has to deal with. Um, the second is that the cost of doing business in Oakland has become prohibitive for them. The cost of apartments and uh, services is higher in Oakland than other places, and so they are looking to shut down the business and they won't be back even if the administration changes. So based upon them shutting that down, that program, we decided to look for alternative ways, and we went through a process within the RTF to look widely and come up with other creative ideas and uh, got a, a couple of groups together to look at the, about 18 ideas that we came up with. We then selected a set of criteria and narrowed those ideas down. And we came um, back to the idea that we've clearly wanted to help refugee families. And so 
we've come to a point where we have uh, identified another charitable organization, the Jewish Families and Community Services Group. Uh, Bill had a contact with them, and uh, he had a very good conversation. I called up the leader of that group, and we had a good conversation as well. And so on Tuesday night, uh, we're going to get together as the Refugee Task Force. I invite you to join us. Um, and we're going to listen to the leader of this organization. Uh, we're going to give her about an hour to give a short presentation and then answer Q&A. And then we'll excuse her and we'll talk amongst ourselves to see if this is a direction that we can, should go in and take and join in partnership with them. Um, so the decision is really ours to take, and I want to try and facilitate as many people as possible being part of that decision and, and moving forward. Um, the last thing that I'll stop on, or the second last thing I'll stop on, is what our mission is for a Refugee Task Force. We really are trying to address the needs of a, of a community that um, is on the lowest rung of America. We're actually trying to get them onto the first rung of America. And that's a lot to do about working with families and giving those families the surrounding input that they need to be successful. And so I think that's a, a worthy cause, uh, and I hope that you see that as something that you'd be interested in as well. Um, and finally, if you're a Warriors fan, use the recorder on your DVR. Start it at 6, and we won't talk about the score all the way through the meeting, and you can watch it when you get home. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Uh, this would be, would be a great opportunity if you've uh, heard about the Refugee Task Force. Uh, we could use some more help, so hope to see you uh, at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. I want to introduce Leslie Quantz, our Director of Children's Ministries, for the Mother's Day presentation. children come forward please thank you as our children are coming forward I want to make a quick announcement over Labor Day weekend we will be having our family camp which is in beautiful Westminster Woods in the Redwoods um, it's called family camp but we do have families we have couples we have single people it's for everybody and I hope that you would consider coming to family camp you can ask me about it who, who, in, who out here has been and can, people could talk to? Raise your hands. So look around if you have any questions about it. It's a lot of fun. Um, I hope you can come. There's applications or in the, by the coffee station, so please help yourselves and come. So what is today, everybody? Mother's Day. And what do we do on Mother's Day? Do you remember? You give, out give out flowers. What have you been doing for the last two weeks? Making flowers. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. We've been making flowers. So what we're going to do is we're going to pass out flowers. We are including every lady that is here today. So the children will be passing out flowers. We've made one for everybody. So if accidentally you get a handful, if you could maybe pass them around. <laughs> and um, we try to reach everybody. If we miss somebody, we're sorry. We'll put some out by the coffee. Okay.
So I know some of us didn't get flowers today. <laughs> but those of us who have mothers or perhaps are no mothers or are married to mothers or something like that, there will be some extra flowers out by the coffee uh, in the, uh, the courtyard after worship. Let's continue now in prayer. Gracious God, maker of heaven and earth, we stand in awe of the wonders of your creation, and we lift our hearts and our heartfelt prayers to you on behalf of that creation of which we're part. We pray for our loved ones, for our community, for our brothers and sisters all over this world, our mothers and fathers in faith throughout time. We lay their joys and concerns, their triumphs and troubles before you now, and our own. We ask that the same spirit who brooded over the chaos at the beginning of time and who ignited the church so long ago would be present once again in power and in truth and in peace with us today. Make your gospel of grace known to all people in every place, including your people gathered right here in this place in this very moment. Holy God, your labor of love gave birth to a universe and so today, on Mother's Day, we give you thanks for those women who gave birth to us and through whom you have brought us into the world, and for all the other women who have been your instruments of love and nurture in our lives, whether they were mothers or not. Thank you for the women who cared for us when we were helpless infants, who gave us our first impressions of your grace and your love. Thank you for the women who called us to take our first steps just as you'd later call us to walk in the way of faith. Thank you for the women of faith who first shared with us the truths of your word. Thank you for the strong women who modeled life's possibilities and for the wise women who've helped us overcome our fears. Whether our experience of being mothered came through one woman or many, we give you thanks for the blessings we received through them all. Merciful God, even as we celebrate the love that we've received and being part of a, a family, both of our, our own nuclear families and extended families, but also a family of faith, we give you thanks. Even so, we are aware that so many of your children are feeling isolated, alone, and in desperate need. They need love. They need community. They need peace. They need shelter and food and health and hope. And in particular, we remember in the light of Easter and the, the terrible tragedy in Sri Lanka and in more recently even in Escondido and before that in Pittsburgh and in Christchurch, there has been so much hatred and anger and violence expressed in our world. A lot of the time we seem to be surrounded by it. So remind us of our place with and our compassion for and our actions on behalf of those who suffer, those who are oppressed, those who are threatened. Also help us to see the kindness and the love and the mercy and the reconciliation that happens all the time, all around us. Help us all to be compassionate and vigilant people on behalf of those who suffer, but also to recognize the joy of your creation as well. In a moment of silence, God, we lift up to you all those for whom we have special concern today.
Loving God, you created each and every one of us out of an act of love. You gave us parents and siblings and family and friends, and you've called us together to live, to love, and to serve in the community of faith, family of faith. So empower and embolden us to do just that. After the manner and in the name of Jesus, who teaches us to pray together with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we're about to hear a, a beautiful anthem called Birdsong. And I just wanted to say, especially for those of you who are watching us online, to, to know that these, the text of this lovely song was written by an unknown child in the Theresien concentration camp in Czechoslovakia. So let's listen and rejoice in these wonderful words and this beautiful music.
Thank you so much. The text today comes from the epistle of James, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this man's religion is vain. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I'm going to read the same passage again in a modern translation called The Message, written by Eugene Peterson, the same two verses. Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air, and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight, and guard against corruption from the godless world. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. The historian William Dunkel once noted that out of 69 kings in France, only three were truly beloved by their subjects. And those three happened to be raised by their own mothers, as opposed to guardians or tutors. Whatever ability we have to make others love us is largely due to the love that our mothers have surrounded us with. And that's why we celebrate mothers this day. I know Mother's Day can be painful. Not everybody had a wonderful mother. Some people have wanted to be mothers their life, and that's never happened. So it's sometimes a mixed bag. But it's appropriate for us to, on this day, celebrate uh, mothers and the gift that they give to this world. You know, Mother's Day originally started as a peace march. It's called the Mother's March for Peace. And it was a political uh, movement against a war. Uh, and then it was uh, promoted by Hallmark Card Company and became something very different um, that we know it today. But um, it's, a, and it's not actually a Christian holiday, but there is a Christian holiday called the Celebration of the Christian Home. And so I'd like to talk today about the Christian family and the church as a family. So we have this text. This text is what you would call a summary statement. Once in a while in the Bible, they just say, okay, let's get right to the point, All right? Here's the point. Here's your takeaway. And James says, here's what real religion is, what God wants from real religion. Take care of the orphans and the widows. That's what it's all about, he says. In a time before insurance and Social Security, pension funds and benefits, widows and orphans were the most dependent and needy classes of people in society. They had almost no ability to make money on their own. They lived in utter dependence on the goodness of others. And unfortunately, they weren't always well taken care of. In the Old Testament, the prophets are often railing against Israel because of the neglect of women, of the orphans and the widows. So it seems that for many times they were not always well taken care of. It's interesting that James brings these two groups into focus because they are both victims of family brokenness. 
Both groups are hurting and vulnerable because their families are broken. And so how does authentic religion express itself? By encircling those whose families are broken and are needy and giving them another family, a larger family called the church. There's plenty of room in the church for those whose families are broken, for divorced or single or widows or orphans, for anyone who has the need for a larger family, and that's what the, the purpose of the church is, to do that particular sort of thing. It's interesting to note that in the modern translation, instead of widows and orphans, it says pure religion is this, take care of the homeless and loveless. And I think if James was writing today to our society, he would probably use those terms. He says, if you really want to get down to the basis of your religion, do something about the homeless people. That's what it's about. Do something about that problem. We have a, a partner organization that we've worked with for many years here at the church called City Team. And there are a group of Christians who take this verse very seriously. It's what they're all about. They run a shelter in Oakland, a homeless shelter. They run a soup kitchen. Uh, and, and they are basically living out their faith by ministering to the, to the homeless. Last night, about 20 members of this congregation, uh, we all went down there to help them serve uh, dinner to the homeless. Because they do this kind of a cool thing. Once a month, on the second Saturday night, instead of just a regular cafeteria, they turn the place into a restaurant. They have tablecloths and flowers they have people come down and sign up to be waiters and waitresses, food runners, hosts, dishwashers. And so all these volunteers come in. And last night we had about 20 of us from the church come down there, take, put on our aprons. And uh, at 6 o'clock, boom, the doors open. About 100 homeless men filed in, one woman, and came in there, sat down, and were served a three-course meal. Now that kind of a thing, that kind of experience is what... James is talking about here. And by the way, if you ever want to feel really good about your life, if you ever want to feel super happy and grateful, spend a little time with homeless people. You walk away from there so thankful and so grateful for the blessings in your life. It truly does warm your heart. But this is the kind of thing that the Bible is saying. If you want to measure your faith, this is the sort of thing that you need to be looking at. And the church needs to be a larger family for those who do not have a family or do not have a home. So what is it that, that families do? Well, first of all, families provide security. Families provide a structure and, a, a, and something that's based more than just fickle feelings. The great thing about a family is it's not dependent on how you're feeling at any particular time or moment. Because we all go through times with our families when we don't feel that good about them, do, do we? There's always times where, where the, the parents don't feel that good about their kids. The kids don't feel that good about their parents. That's just normal. I remember when my daughters were, were young, I have a friend whose kids were older and, and uh, one of them was going off to college. And I said, that must be really hard to have, have this kid that you've raised for these 18 years just sail off and, and, and move away and go off to college? He said, no, not really. <laughs> said, no. 
He says, by the time that time comes, they'll have made you want them to go. They, they, they will have arranged that for you. That's their job as teenagers to uh, get you ready for that time to happen in your life. And so that's what's wonderful about families is they're not based on feelings, on how you happen to feel at a particular moment. Don McCullough tells a story about a man named Frank, whose proudest time in his life was when he was in the Army in World War II. And he was proud to wear the uniform of the U.S. Army. He came back after the war. He set up a cobbler shop in a small town, became a, a member of the church there and a real leading citizen in the town. And then years later, he had his own son, Stephen. But then the 60s came, and the Vietnam War came. And his son, Stephen, felt the opposite that Frank did about the war, about the uniform. He, in fact, he became a, a violent anti-war protester and was thrown in jail. And everybody wondered what would happen when he got out. What would Frank's view of his son be? But if you'd gone to his cobbler shop in those years, you would have seen his arm around Stephen and saying, I'd like to introduce you to my new partner, my son Stephen. Stephen went on to become uh, a major figure in that town, a respectable person. And it was, and it was the fact that the family wasn't based on having the same political views or feelings. It was based on commitments that are made to each other. You don't always agree when you're in a family. Same thing in the church. People don't always agree on things. But it's built on promises, not feelings. And that's why when we uh, add new members in the church, we have them come forward, stand here, and they, they make promises, they make vows, membership vows. And then we as a congregation, we make vows back to them. It's a public commitment. And that's what our relationship is based on, not on any particular feelings at any particular time. Second thing that, that families do other than give us security is to give us identity. They help us figure out who we are, what we stand for, what our values are. Identity, you know, um, Probably the hardest thing I can imagine about being an orphan would be if you don't have people to tell stories about what you were like when you were young. You don't have people to tell those stories about you. You don't hear all of those kind of things like, uh, oh, Janie, when you were three, I remember back when you put the hamster in the toilet. You called it a, to a hamster jacuzzi. Um, I remember that, you know, and I remember when, when this happened. Do you have stories in your family that when somebody begins to tell the story, eyes start to roll because you've heard it so many times? Don't stop telling those stories because those stories tell us our identity. They tell us who we are. In telling stories, we are passing on our heritage to the next generation. Lou Smeads was a professor at Fuller Seminary, and he wrote a wonderful book called A Pretty Good Person, in which he talked about character and how people develop character. And he, he had met this guy uh, who had come to the United States named Sander Unvari. And he was a Hungarian who, when the Nazis invaded Hungary in 1939, he resisted. And he wrote a book against them, articles, and he was thrown into jail and persecuted. And then, when the Nazis were defeated and the communists invaded Hungary, they thought that, well, he's, he's going to be on their side because he was against the Nazis and we were against the Nazis too. But it turned out he 
resisted the communists just as much as he resisted the Nazis. And he wrote against them, and then they put him in jail and persecuted him, and eventually he was able to get out, and he came to America. And Lou Smeads interviewed him and talked to him and said, what, what is it that enabled you to resist, to resist both of these regimes publicly and at great expense to you and your family? And he said, well, he said, my family, my people, the Hungarians, we have always been resistors. When the Ottomans came in the 12th century, we resisted them. When the Habsburgs came in the 16th century, we resisted them. So it was only natural that I would do the same to the Nazis and the communists. My people, we are resistors. When we tell our stories and pass them on, we continue our heritage. That's what we do in the church when we come here and we read the Bible, we tell our stories, we say, hey, remember back when God called Abraham and Sarah? And they were in their 80s, and they went and, and came to a new land and started a new people. Remember when God used Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery? Remember that? Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times on that last night of his life? Remember what they did to Jesus, and then remember what happened. Through these stories, the story emerges, the story of God's love. That's what we do in families. We provide identity and security. And lastly, we provide support. Families are to be there when we are weak and when we need help. That's for the church is to be there as well. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Some of you recall the dramatic incident that happened at the Summer Olympics in 1992 in Barcelona. It was the quarterfinals of the 400-meter sprint. The British athlete Derek Redmond was one of the favorites to win the gold medal. A lifetime of training had led him to this moment, and the starters fired the gun, the athletes set out of the blocks. Halfway through the race, Derek Redmond was leading, but then disaster struck. His hamstring went, and he collapsed on the track. The agony on his tear-streaked face was both physical and mental. It was a crushing blow. Medical attendants ran to assist him, but he waved him away. I came to this race, and I'm going to finish this race, he said. And he got to his feet and started hobbling, hobbling down the track. The crowd was mesmerized. Officials didn't know what to do. And then this older man ran onto the track. He brushed off the officials who tried to stop him. He ran up beside Derek and he placed his arm around him. It was Derek's father, Jim. You don't have to do this, son, Jim said. Yes, I do, Derek replied. Well, then we'll finish this race together, came the response. And arm in arm with agony on Derek's face, tears on the father's, Derek and Jim continued down the track. Derek buried his face in his father's shoulder. His father's strong shoulders carried his son physically and emotionally. Jim waved away officials who tried to stop them. Then finally, accompanied by a roaring crowd, standing on their feet and applauding, Derek Redmond crossed the line, and it became the defining moment 
of the Barcelona Olympics. That's what families are for. When we are weak, they come to us and they make us strong. Amen.
give thanks together to God as we say together the prayer of thanksgiving which is printed here in the bulletin. Holy God, we thank you for the gifts and blessings that you lavish on your creation. As your children, heirs of your grace and filled with your spirit, we bring you our tithes and offerings. Multiply and use them, we pray, to spread the gospel, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, and to bring peace. May your light, your mercy, and your love bloom wherever there's darkness, disease, or despair. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
sisters, I remind you as you go forth from this place that you're leaving as representatives, ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.